Good morning. Um, just one thing I do want to make mention um, uh, before we get started here. Our, our, our first class, um, it's a monthly, if you want to call it, study. That's uh, going to be on the fourth Tuesday of each month, the Association of Reformed Theology. And um, the first one's going to be Tuesday next, so Tuesday, um, August 25th at uh, 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Um, now, um, I, I did want to encourage you, it's not too late to sign up for that. You can go on online, you can go under resources, and there's a place where you can sign up for that. And if you want a book, um, you can certainly get one. Uh, I, Richard McClendon had, had gotten one of these uh, our books, and this is sort of uh, what it looks like. The Wonderful Works of God. And uh, it's, it looks about two inches there, but you get a whole year to deal with it if you want to. Um, and and he, he noted that he said, I wish I had read this 40 years ago. Um, he, he said, uh, he went on to say, he said, look, and, and sort of tongue in cheek, but he said, this would be mandatory, should be mandatory for anybody um, who um, has uh, questions that they did not know enough to, you know, even ask or answers that they did not even know, uh, you know, the question to ask. And so he just says, it's, 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 it's pretty readable as these things go. Obviously, it's, it's a serious work, but it, it's pretty readable. I think uh, uh, kudos to Weston. I think he picked out a really uh, good book on that. But it's not too late. You get online and you can, uh, you can mark it where it says, um, you know, I do want a book. You don't have to have a book to show up, um, but uh, if you want one, we can certainly get one for you. Good morning, everybody. You are at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed. And uh, we'll tell you that yesterday we gathered to celebrate the life of Greg Evans, and it was a beautiful service. Those of you, I know a lot of you stayed home and watched that on the stream. Uh, this next Saturday at 11 o'clock, we will have a memorial uh, service for Dr. Uh, George Mall. And it will be at 11 o'clock. I think that the night before, there will be a, a visitation, not here, but at the funeral home. We will send an email out with those details for those of you who would like to participate in that. That being said, I'm pleased that you're here. This is, a, this is the Lord's Day. It's the day that he has made. And let us rejoice and be glad. At it. I want to invite you who are able to stand and will be called to worship uh, through the Apostles' Creed. I ask you this question. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence you shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated and uh, enjoy the ministry of music. Oh, in the grave he lay, Jesus, my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus, my Lord. Up from the grave he arose, with the mighty triumph for his foes, he arose the victory. 
shelter from the dark domain and he lives forever with the saints to reign he arose he arose hallelujah christ arose mainly they watch his bed jesus my savior saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Rise, O church, and lift your voices, Christ has conquered death and hell. Sing as all the earth rejoices, resurrection's anthems swell. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ, the risen King. See the tomb where death had laid him, empty now its mouth declares. Death I could not, can't contain him, from the throne of life he shares. Come and worship and worship, worship Christ the risen King. Amen. Uh, before we go to our congregational prayer, I, I did want to encourage the church in, in its giving. Uh, you know, we are really thankful and blessed that through a time, it's been a pretty difficult time, I, I think we all know, um, our, our church has done really well. Uh, this past month, it was it was, it was a, a little weaker. We it was our end of our fiscal year. We had uh, a lot of extra expenses, including um, uh, wanting to help some of our missionaries a little more that need we're going to need some help. Um, and so, also our revenue was down a little bit. So, I do want to encourage you in your faithfulness. Um, you know, whether it's you know through the tithe online or giving online or mails or, or even as we gather here, I realize this a lot of us. Do not get the opportunity to gather here. And, and so we still have those uh, various ministry expenses, and I do want to encourage you in that. But let's go to the Lord now and uh, first hear what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's go to our God in prayer. Almighty and Heavenly Father, in Christ alone we see the Word made flesh. That flesh live as your perfect and sinless Son. That Son praised by your ministering spirits as the message of life. That message believed for salvation and that salvation ascend to the right hand of your glorious throne. In this great work of your saving grace, we are united to Jesus, crucified and raised in him before a great cloud of heavenly witnesses, 
living testimonies of your gospel of grace, predestined to be glorified in Christ. In light of these precious truths, strengthen us to live in a manner worthy of our great calling. By the Spirit that is your holy will, let us see and enter your kingdom. Love your word as our very life. Flee the adultery that is our friendship with the world. Live lives of repentance for transgressions that deny our confession. And trust our Jesus in life and death. Lord, deliver us from unbelief. It is in our faith that we realize our union with Christ. In love, we have been baptized into his death that we should also walk in newness of life. Let our walk reflect your new creation, a light in the darkness of this world. Father, now receive our worship in giving, always trusting that you provide all things. We ask this in the name of our good confession, our Lord Jesus Christ praying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to feel. And grace my fears relieved How precious did that grace appear The hour I first believed My chains are
changing grace in the 
I want to say I appreciate all the musicians, all those who work in the sound booth and backstage to make sure uh, that all that we do here can go home and be in the living rooms of those people who rightfully so can't be here with us because of uh, uh, really fears and appropriate fears of dealing with the uh, COVID-19 virus. So thank you to all those who work behind the scenes. Today uh, is our last week together where we'll be studying the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's, the, it's the tenth week. And so as you might assume, we are studying the 10th commandment today. Uh, there's an old saying that came from a philosopher, and this philosopher is probably someone you haven't heard of, but he was a contemporary of Jesus. Uh, he was commonly referred to as Ovid. And Ovid has a book that was called The Art of Love, where he coined this phrase. I don't know if you've heard it before. The phrase is, the harvest is always richer in another man's field. The harvest is always richer in another man's field. You can imagine a, a farmer uh, who's always looking at his neighbor's crops and he's always feeling like his neighbor's crops are, are better and, and his neighbor's crops are always bigger and that his neighbor's land is really more fertile. And he says to himself, why, why can't I have that guy's vineyard? I don't even like my own farm. It's not a good farm. And hundreds of years later, the, the words of Ovid would kind of change with time. And the Western world would come to adopt a new phrase that was kind of built off this that I think you guys know real well. And it goes like this. The grass is always greener on the other side of the hill. You heard that one before? The grass is always greener on the other side of the hill. 
It's this idea that summarizes, in a, in a sense, the human experience. It's universal. We tend to all do it. The grass is always greener on the other side of the hill. You look out on the world, and what we do is we compare what God has given us to what God has given to the people around us. And what you will notice is that almost universally, no matter what parcel of land you find yourselves on, I mean, you could have the nicest house in town, you'd be comparing yourself to someone who lived out of town with a nicer house. That's just kind of the way it goes. Uh, we look out on our neighbor and we find that they've got greener grass, and that's metaphorically, of course. What we're really comparing is our lives. We compare our jobs with other people's jobs. I wish I did what they did. I wish I got paid what they paid. We compare our homes with other people's homes. We compare our cars and our families. We compare even our spouses, our, our lifestyles. Boy, they have so much freedom. They get to go and do this and that. They get to go on this vacation or that vacation. We even compare uh, our bodies. I wish I looked like them. And in our hearts we think, you know, I wish I looked like him or her. I wish I had his paycheck. I wish I had their freedom. I wish my life looked like their life. And I have to admit uh, that I'm preaching to you on a subject that, that I have not even come close to mastering. Um, I've always struggled with contentment. And I said this in the early service. One gift that God has given me is that I, uh, he, he's, he's given me the ability to love my wife in a way where I'm tremendously content. I mean, like, like I always have been, by the grace of God, I always will be. I have no desire to look next door. I really love my wife in a way I'm really content. But in almost every other area of my life, I find myself struggling with contentment. Like I, I look at my house, I don't really, don't really love my house. I have a tendency to look across the fence and envy the things that my neighbor has in his backyard. I, I, I'm jealous of the lifestyle that other people have. I don't have this coveting thing down. I don't come to you as a master who has, who's, who's figured out coveting. Chances are you struggle with coveting too. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you have it whipped. Maybe that's not who you are, but I doubt it. I think the chances are that, that you, like me, think that at times the grass is greener on the other side of the hill. The Tenth Commandment goes straight to the heart of our discontentment. It's a it's a commandment about coveting what our neighbors have. So I want to read together the Ten Commandments. This will be the tenth time we've read it. It'll be the final time we read the entire Ten Commandments together in our series. And we'll talk a little bit more about coveting. I want to invite you to stand now, if you're able to do so, as we read fully together the Ten Commandments. Uh, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. Before we read this, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our great Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It is a gift to us. It reveals to us the truth of your law. It reveals to us also the generosity of your grace and the generosity of Jesus. And so as we come to your law today, God, uh, help us to examine our lives by it, to see the places by the, by the work of your spirit where we are sinners, and to call upon that name of Jesus for our salvation. Uh, Christ, have mercy. Spirit, inspire this word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord, Exodus 20, beginning in the first verse. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your servant or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Uh, I think it's healthy to preach sermons uh, that people who have been in the church all their lives can understand, as well as uh, elementary school kids can grasp a hold of. And so I think the first place to start here is with this word covet. What does it mean to, to covet? Uh, well, to covet is to yearn for something. Specifically, it's to desire something uh, that belongs to someone else. Uh, it's craving the blessings of God that he's given to your neighbors. And that's where we get this idea that the grass is always greener on the other side. We're wanting the life or the possessions of someone else instead of what we have because ultimately we aren't satisfied with what God has given to us. Our neighbor's grass, his plot of land must be better than ours. And so when we read the, the Ten Commandments here, we come to the Tenth Commandment, and God gets very specific. He doesn't just say, thou shalt not covet. It's, it's kind of a few sentences in there, isn't it? And he starts off by saying, don't covet your neighbor's house. Which of us hadn't done that? I mean, I think that's a, that's a tendency to look, and it's, it's shelter, it's a sign of status, it's a sign of comfort. And there have been countless TV shows where they put on display the homes of the rich and famous. The first one that I can remember, I mean, it may have been the predecessor to all of them, was a television show that came on a long time ago called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Do you remember this? The host was a, a British guy by the name of Robin Leach, and he was really fancy and had a fancy accent. And Leach would tour these extravagant homes and yachts, and there would be golden toilets, and there would be marbled ceilings, and he would, you remember what he wished his audience? He, said he would wish them champagne wishes and caviar dreams. Uh, and, and when people would watch these shows, sometimes, you know, uh, some of the real uh, self-righteous people would get disgusted that someone would live like this. But more often than not, I think that people would, would, would have this attitude. It's like, sign me up. Show me where. I want, I'd, I'd, I'd live there today. I'd love to sit on a golden toilet 
I'd love to live a life like that. And have you ever felt that way? Um, I gotta say, it's a slippery slope to go from like admiring these great houses to at some point yearning for them, and then on the other hand, beginning to really not be thankful for the place that we live and not be thankful for what we have. Um, There's a couple layers to the Ten Commandments. On the one hand, we don't covet uh, in this Tenth Commandment because it it, it really, if you covet something of somebody else's, it's going to lead to eventual conflict or it's going to lead to resentment. Really, that's, that's one of the two things that's going to happen. If you're, if you're really coveting someone's wife or you're coveting their house, what's going to happen is it's going to lead to conflict and resentment. But on the other hand, the reason we just don't covet is because it, it makes life miserable. If you, if you spend your life focusing on these gifts that other people have that you don't, you will be miserable. The second part of the Ten Commandments, as we, as we talked about, how he's, he's somewhat specific there. Uh, he says, don't covet your neighbor's wife. And I'm sure at some point you have had a friend, and that friend has a very attractive or very enjoyable spouse. And if you're not married or if, you're, if maybe you're married and you're discontent, I can imagine you might look at your friend's spouse and say something like this. Uh, how did he get so lucky to marry her? You know, like... like like, I wish I, was, I wish I was them. I wish I'd married someone like that. They always cook dinner, and they, they clean themselves up real nice all the time, and they always laugh at my jokes. And I mean, once again, it's this thin line between um, observing the beauty and charm of a friend's spouse and secretly desiring that relationship for yourself. The Tenth Commandment goes on to say this. It says, don't covet your neighbor's male servant or his female servants, or his ox, or his donkey. And I'll say this, we live in a culture where people uh, don't own slaves anymore. And we certainly do not affirm this idea of slavery at all, especially in the wicked form which we saw in this country. What we do understand is that this time in history, people saw their slaves as possessions. And they used their slaves to make their own lives more convenient. I mean, if you think about it, you would use the body and the life of someone else to make your own life more convenient. You didn't have to go out and harvest in the field. You didn't have to cook dinner because you had slaves to do so. And uh, while we don't have that in our world, if we look in our world, we will find no shortage of possessions intended to make our lives more convenient. And this is what I mean. We have a we have computers, we have Apple Watches, we have ice makers, we have Wi-Fi routers, we have cell phones, we have wireless earbuds, we have zero-turn mowers, we have four-wheelers, we have $400 Yeti coolers, we have $300 sunglasses, we have boats for the lake, and we have overpriced grills for the back porch. I mean, I was at a friend's house the other day, I was like, I really like that, that grill, that little egg thing you have out there. How much does that cost? He's like, this model's like 1200 I was like, oh my goodness, it's a grill. There's always going to be something that your neighbor has that will always catch your eye. There's always something our neighbor has that makes us feel less content with what we have. Now, this, this phone was new nine months, a year ago. I imagine by this time next year, I will hate it. The way we work. Think about all the toys uh, that we have that, that, that your grandparents never once longed for, never once missed, 
I don't think your grandma ever thought, man, my life would be complete if I had a computer watch. Never. She never knew she needed that. She never worried about the, the latest iPhone. And, and probably one of the main reasons was, as, as, as righteous as your grandma was, it wasn't a result of her righteousness. It was probably a result of the fact that none of her neighbors had those things. Because if your grandma's neighbors had a great iPhone, guess what? Your grandma is human and she may have wanted that. We tend to covet what other people have. However, not, not every desire that we have in life is wrong. God has made us creatures of desire. Um, it's a desire for food that reminds us to eat. In some of our cases, we've got that desire in a good place. You know, we, we eat the right amount. And some of us, that desire is out of control. We eat too much. It's a desire for friendship that draws us in the community, keeps us in churches and connected. It's a desire for intimacy that sometimes can, can be a good thing and bring us into marriages and sometimes can be a bad thing and draws us into adultery. It's desires for accomplishment that, that make us work hard. And if God has been really gracious to you, you will have in your heart, and it's a gift, a desire to know God. It's, it's the greatest of all the desires. And if you have it, you've been blessed. But like so many things, your desires uh, become corrupted by sin. And as a result, you often want things that are the wrong things. And you want them at the wrong time, and you want them for the wrong reasons. So if we were to look at our Bibles I would tell you this, that there are several places we could look in the Bible and we could find uh, situations where people's desires have gotten out of control and it's turned into coveting. Probably the most famous place we could look is in the life of King David. He has everything he needs. He has wealth. He has many wives. And uh, he walks upon the roof one day at the time when kings are normally out at war. And what does he spot on the, uh, the roof below him is uh, the beautiful Bathsheba bathing on the roof. And maybe at first you just admire her beauty, but then this gives birth to sin, and he begins to covet Bathsheba, who was the wife of another man. And uh, as most of, this, most of us know, this story turns out he commits adultery, and he commits murder, breaking two other of the commandments. But notice what precedes the murder, and notice what precedes the adultery. The root sin was coveting. Coveting is actually a kind of sin that leads to other sins. It really is. I mean, you, you're going to covet, but then, but then and it in itself is a sin, but it also oftentimes leads to murder or to uh, adultery or to stealing. Think about it. That's what coveting leads to. The first of the nine commandments in the list of ten commandments are really all actions. They're all things that we do. Um, the ten commandment is different, though. It's not necessarily something that's an action. Coveting is actually something that you do really just in your heart. Coveting is, is, is less of an action, it's more of a desire, born in discontent and born in thanklessness. It, it's the offspring of our entitlement and our greed. One, one Bible commentator that I was reading, I think he was trying to be a little snarky and make a point, but he, he was trying to make this suggestion that, that whoever God assigned to number the Ten Commandments really did a bad job because they didn't understand suspense or climax. And, and here's what he meant. He said that God put all the dramatic and the intriguing sins first and saved the measly coveting for last. That the, at first, we would have sins like stealing woo, and adultery and murder, and they would be these big sins, and then we would get this bland sin of, of coveting. He was being sarcastic, of course. Uh, he, was, he was kind of speaking about the way that we dismiss 
the seriousness of coveting like it was some minor infraction, while we treat murder like it was his own category of evil. See, coveting is a, it's a sneaky killer. It does its work in such a way that, that you're not afraid of it. You're not really bothered by it because it happens in your heart and no one can see it. So whenever you're tempted to minimize the evil of coveting, you need to remember that God felt that it was evil enough to include it amongst the Ten Commandments. There's another biblical story that I want to share with you. It's really a great biblical story uh, to illustrate coveting or uh, someone who covets. And it's the story of King Ahab and the grapes of wrath. Are you, are you familiar with this story, King Ahab and the grapes of wrath? It goes like this. Um, so King Ahab is this man. He's, he's a king of Samaria. And he has this great palace. He's got tons of riches. He's got everything that you could imagine. Just a very affluent man. And he's married to this woman. And she's, she's a pretty famously wicked woman in the Bible. And her name is Jezebel. And so if someone was to call you a Jezebel, that is not a compliment. Now, you don't, you don't want that. I wouldn't suggest you name your firstborn daughter Jezebel. That's, this is a bad lady. You don't want to have that in your, in, in your, in your family. Um, so uh, even though uh, all this, uh, her husband Ahab, he's got a ton of land and so much wealth. And one day he's kind of out in, in his castle area there. And he looks out and he sees a beautiful vineyard. That's just outside his royal palace. What is the, the old statement about real estate? Uh, it's location, location, location. It's all about where it's at. Well, for Ahab, uh, the location of this property was perfect. It was, it was, it was right next to his, uh, his castle, right next to where he lived. And he just, it was right next to the palace. He just couldn't take his eye off it. He couldn't stop thinking about it. And he kind of falls in love with this vineyard. And he knows that it belongs to someone else. It actually belongs to a, uh, an Israelite named Naboth. And Ahab begins to covet this vineyard. It's not his but he knows he's going to have it. He has other lands, but not this fine, not this close to the palace. The grass seems to be greener in this vineyard. And he starts imagining, he's like, what would I do with this vineyard? And, and uh, he must be a teetotaler. He's got zero use for, for wine. What he really wants is he wants to take this vineyard and he wants to turn it into a vegetable garden. That, that's really what scripture tells us. And his, his mouth was almost watering at the thought that he could have this prime land for a vegetable garden right next to his palace. Uh, so what he does is he, he tries to buy the land from Naboth. And let's pick up the story at 1 Kings 21, verse 2. And here's what it says. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if it seems good to you, if, if you're about ready to get out of the whole uh, vineyard business, I'll give you its value in money. That's, that's, he's, so the king's trying to be fair, King Ahab, and he's trying to buy the land. He offers what he thinks is a fair price, but Naboth immediately is going to decline. And look with me at 1 Kings 21.3 at what he says. It says this, But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Uh, what was the reason that, that Naboth would refuse to sell the vineyard to Ahab. Uh, the reason is that, that Naboth knew the word of God, and according to the law of Moses, uh, the children of Israel were not allowed to sell the property of the promised land because they believed that the promised land belonged to God and that it had been divvied up in such a way to give uh, to his ancestors, and so it was his to be stewarded, but not his to be sold. 
And so Naboth was really kind of presenting himself to be a pretty righteous guy in his response here. And King Ahab was furious, and he went home, and what Scripture tells us is that uh, he, he went into this kind of this pouting rage, and he goes and kind of gets into bed and hides his face up against the wall. People come in to bring him food, and he knocks the plates out of his hand. He doesn't want anything to eat. He just kind of wants to pout. He was obsessed. And he'd been daydreaming, and he would never be happy until he got what he coveted. And uh, eventually his wife, the wicked Jezebel, comes to check on him. And Ahab tells Jezebel why uh, he's so upset. And he's got to seem like kind of a weak little man to her. And she, she's such a, a, a wicked woman, and, and here he is pouting, and, and, she, and he tells, he says, listen, I want the vineyard. I can't have the vineyard. And she says to him, listen, I'll give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Uh, and this is a scary woman. I'll tell you what she does. Uh, she finds two men who are pretty scrupulous, two men who have uh, low morals, if any at all, and she offers to pay them to bring false testimony. We talked about that last week, false testimony. She would need two because by the law, it would take two people to accuse Naboth. Um, so that's breaking the ninth commandment. And she pays them to testify that Naboth had done two things. The first is that he had uh, cursed God, and the second is that he had cursed the king. And she has Naboth taken outside the city, and they stone him to death. That's breaking the sixth commandment. So Jezebel returns home to her pouty husband Ahab, and she tells him that Naboth is dead, and he is excited. And he goes uh, immediately over to the vineyard that he's been coveting, and he, he's making plans for where he's going to put his rows of crops. And who does he see there waiting for him when he arrives? None other than God's prophet Elijah is there. And Elijah comes up to Naboth, and this really reminds me of, of David and, and the prophet Nathan. But, but, but Elijah's there, and he comes up uh, to Ahab, and he says this, words that chill the king's soul. He says, thus says the Lord, you've killed and also taken possession. Killed and you've taken possession. In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your blood. Now, if that's not Old Testament, I don't know what is. In the place where the, God, where the dogs have licked up the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs lick up your blood. This story has is, is got to be the ultimate Old Testament, the grass is always greener story. Uh, Ahab is willing to kill to get what grass is literally just on the other side of the hill from his palace. So, what about you? What an interesting question. Where is it that you specifically seem to struggle with coveting? If you had to do by the, the grace of, of, of the Spirit of God, you were able to do that kind of work this morning of self-examination, where would you find yourself longing for greener pastures? Um, I'm not really a poetry guy. Uh, I, I got to read one in a funeral yesterday, and I just kind of felt like I'm on a roll. And uh, so let's just let's stick to some poetry. Let's do that. And I'm going to be a poet today. I'm going to read. And it's a poet, poem that was uh, read by uh, pastor and teacher Charles Swindoll. I have no idea who wrote it. I would love to give them credit. If you find out who wrote, who wrote this, send it to me. I, I'd love to know. Uh, but I think this poem gets at the heart of how we live lives of discontent. Here it goes. First, it was spring. But it was summer that I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. Then it was summer, but it was fall that I wanted, colorful leaves and the cool dry air. Then it was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. 
Then it was winter. But it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blooming of nature. See, I was a child, but it was adulthood that I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 that I wanted, to be mature and to be sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 that I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. You see, this idea that the grass is always greener depends on where you're standing, doesn't it? What if the author of this poem had learned contentment? What if all the things he longed for, he had figured out how to enjoy them in their season? What if in spring he was thankful for spring? What if in winter he was able to, to, to be there and to be thankful for winter? What if in middle age he was able to kind of look around him and say, man, these are the blessings of middle age? What if in his 20s he was thankful for his 20s, and in retirement he was thankful for retirement? That's the life of joy, not looking across at greener pastures, but glorifying God and enjoying Him forever wherever you are right now. The cure for coveting what others have, and so listen, the cure for coveting what others have is simply contentment. Being able to look at the four walls of your house and say, that's more than enough for me. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to choose to be happy and at peace right here. It's about looking at your spouse and saying, God, I trust that you don't make mistakes. And you have been present all throughout our marriage. How can I take my eyes off the, the blessing that you've given me to go chase after somebody else? What is it that you're longing for um, that makes you miss out on the blessings of this very moment? That's a fair question, isn't it? I, I remember some situations in my life where I remember being, you know, when you're a teenager, you like, you, you hate yourself in a sense sometimes. Not every teenager, but a lot of us do. You, know, you got acne and, and, uh, and you got hair that sticks up and braces or whatever. And I can, I can remember being at some pretty cool place. I can remember like being at like a, a dance and um, that's that dance looking over and, and seeing what I thought was a kid who didn't have any acne, didn't have any problems and was a really great, great looking kid. And I remember uh, I had a miserable time at the dance because I hated myself and because I hated what I looked like and because I wanted to look like that guy. And, and I think it's quite possibly that we go through life longing for other things and not being able to be happy in the, in, in the blessing that we have in the very moment that we're living in. Are you not going to be happy until you get married? I mean, is that the thing that you think is going to fix it? Like, I'll, I'll be happy when I'm married. Are you not going to be happy until you get pregnant or until you have a child? Are you not going to be happy until you get a job or until you retire? What is it that keeps you looking across the greener pastures and keeps you discontent? What do you covet? God did not make a mistake by including 
the 10th commandment in his list. Your coveting is sinful. It robs you of enjoying the good life. It does lead to death. And it's just as dangerous as any of the other Ten Commandments. So I guess my charge to you is to stop looking over the fence and comparing where God has you with anyone else. It robs you of your joy. The sin that leads to more sin. Choose instead to live a life of thankfulness and to appreciate the grass on your side of the hill. So the logical question is, and the way to get at this is, is to ask this question. What has God given you that makes your life beautiful? What is it? What's God given you that makes life beautiful? Make a, actually, go ahead and make a list in your head. Think, count up all the ways you have this life that is to be envied. But, but just make sure that at the top of that list, you write four words. Created, called, redeemed, and sustained. Created, called, redeemed, and sustained. Because this is the work of Christ for you, that, that you have been created, you have been called, you have been redeemed, and you have been sustained by the love of Christ, even though you are a rebellious sinner. And, and if you can't learn to be content in Jesus, you will continue to chase after and covet all the things that lead you to be miserably discontent. True contentment is realizing that Christ has already met your deepest needs and that he has promised that he will never leave you or forsake you and that he will sustain you by his grace for eternity. Last question. If that's true, what else do you need? This has been the 10th commandment. You should not covet your neighbor's house. You should not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I confess to you uh, just entitlement and selfishness and looking over the fence and seeing things I want. And living there as opposed to living in the moment where I say, God, look at my family, look at my wife, look at my calling and my friends and my freedom in Jesus. Christ is enough. May I always be content. May my friends here always be content. May we never covet another man's blessing, but be content in our blessing. This is the good life. God, I, by the power of your spirit, if you could give that to us or help us with that, our lives would be so much more joyful. We don't want wealth. I think what's more valuable, God, is if you just give us contentment. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. i
So uh, I get back and my phone's buzzing all up as I'm trying to preach and I start opening my uh, text message. I sit down here for a second, which you shouldn't do in church. It's a shame on you. Um, but, I, but I look at and there's no less than three messages there telling me that the person who wrote that poem was a 14-year-old kid named Jason Lehman. Uh, so I want to give Jason all the props. Beautiful poem, Jason. Uh, listen, guys, there are a lot of things where comparison will lead us to covet the things and the blessings that God has given to someone else. And all that does to you is it steals your joy. If you could be content and happy, would you choose it over being rich and miserable? Every person I know would. Contentment is really the joy of life. God has given you a great pasture and green grass to live in. Just, man, embrace that. Be thankful for it. Go now and take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus' Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit until we meet again. Let's enjoy the ministry of music once more. He's fairer than his rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out the cold. He's all that my hungry spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and wonderful worshiping with you this week. Until next time, God bless.